Hey friends, welcome to the Connected Families Podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Bellward. Our purpose in this podcast is to guide you to receive God's grace and truth, and then to equip you to pass that grace and truth on to your children. I'm so glad that you're here today. We have special guests on the podcast today that I'm going to introduce in just a minute. But first, Jim Jackson, co-founder of Connected Families, is joining me for the conversation. Hi, Jim. Hey, Stacey. I'm really eager about today. I went on our guests' website this morning and I took their uh, quiz and I, and I failed. Oh, no. And I want to, I'm very curious <laughs> no. to see what they're going to say about, about that. <laughs> no, I didn't fail. I was just, I couldn't get a good read. On, so I'm really eager to, to dive in and understand <laughs> attachment styles, right? It's about attachment. Yes. We have Mylan and Kay Yurkovich with us today. They're the authors of How We Love and How We Love Our Kids. Their book and ministry explains attachment. For you and me, Jim. Why I'm so eager to, to get going here. Yes, really good. Well, I want to say, I think we believe this information is so useful to our parents because learning our five attachment styles really helps us as parents to cultivate secure, deep connection with our kids. That's, that's right. That's right out of our foundation and framework, isn't it? Yes, it is. Well, and I think it's not just about our kids, too. I think the things we're going to hear about today are going to inspire and inform really all of our close relationships. That's right. Yeah, that's true. Well, let me read their bio, and then we will invite them on. Here it is. Mylon and Kay are the creators of Attachment Core Pattern Therapy. Both specialize in the application of attachment research and have worked with marriages and families for over 40 years. Mylon is the co-host of New Life Live, a nationally syndicated counseling show heard on over 180 radio stations on the NRB television network. Kay has a master's in marriage and family therapy and has worked with many, many, many families. They have been married 50 years and have four married sons and daughters and 10 grandchildren. Welcome to the show, Kay and Mylan. Well, thank you. We're delighted to be with you and uh, we're honored, quite honestly. Yeah, we're excited to share with you and get to know you during our interview. We're so glad to have you. Your work has been so important for me. It has been for many on our staff, actually. I, I came to know you in our adoption process. And as we were really learning about attachment, uh, that was a new word for me when we first started to mm -hmm. adopt. But I know that it is not just for families who have foster kids or adoption. This is for every family. Let's just start off with you explaining what is attachment theory? Why is it relevant to everyone? Well, the field of attachment research is a 75-year-old field of research where it began actually in England as a parent would put a child in the hospital for treatment. What occurred there was that the child was left and the parent couldn't see them. So the child went through an experience of disconnecting from the parent and they noted a, a, an observable process where the child would protest, go into a state of despair, and then go into a place where they would uh, be resigned to the loss because the child had no way of understanding what was going on. So the hospital considered that as an adjustment, whereas what was happening is the child was debonding from their parents. 
So research continued on on the continent of Africa, uh, on the east coast of the United States, by universities all over the world. And basically, it's a study of what parents do with the baby and preschoolers that helped them feel safe, securely bonded, and gave the child the ability to manage stress, frustration, and challenges, or not, based <laughs> upon the parent's capacities. Interesting. And so I know from reading your book, How We Love and How We Love Our Kids, there's five attachment styles. So out of that research, they broke down five different styles. I guess, is it six if you count secure? So I'm wondering if you could go, like briefly go through each of those and explain them to us. Sure. Okay. Why don't you do that? Okay. Well, secure attachment occurs when a parent can recognize distress in a child and provide relational relief as they grow. And that's throughout the lifespan. Uh, but the first regulator of a child's stress is the parent. And the parent has to be able to regulate their own stress and calm themselves down when they're upset because a dysregulated parent can't really regulate a child because they themselves are overcome with stress. A secure connector also has a parent who can adapt to differences in temperament, notice when their own behavior creates reactions or upset in their child and provide a repair. And a parent that can allow a wide range of emotions and help a child understand their internal experience. Mm -hmm. This is so important because a secure connector can describe a wide range of emotions and is able to articulate what is going on inside their mind and heart. And this is a skill that a parent develops when they ask a child about their feelings, they help them put words to their internal experience, and they give them a very important skill in doing that called self-awareness. And so that's a very important part of Secure Connector. One other very important thing is a parent knows how to make consistent limits for that child. So they're age-appropriate limits, and they're, they're presented in a respectful way. And that helps a child learn to control their impulses and to delay gratification. So bonding comes first, limits and boundaries come second, and the better the bonding experience for most kids, the easier the limits and boundaries are. And if bonding is difficult, then setting limits and boundaries can be more difficult because the child doesn't have that, that essential connection, it makes them feel safe and secure. So, and, and right there too, with that type of parenting style, or even in marriage, what that does is it teaches the child that I can find comfort in relationship. As you know, so many of the people that we run into or talk with and in our society, they go to non-relational forms of relief, including addictions. So if I don't have a basis of bonding established where I learn to find relief in relationship, I will turn to non-relational ways to solve my internal distress and as we all know, that does not work well. It provides right. temporary relief, but then there's a price tag. Yeah, so. big is price this tag. Why, is this why shopping malls are so popular? <laughs> yes. My cupboard is filled with chocolate. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, we all have those things that can be comforting and nice, but at some point, if something turns into an obsession, a compulsion, or addiction, yeah. At that point, we find relief at the shopping mall, most certainly. Yeah. And, cho and chocolate is a universal soothing <laughs> yeah. you know, for, for a lot of people. And so uh, understood, but uh, it's yeah. relational relief. 
Now, Kate, just the insecure attachment styles aren't don't do as well with respect to going to others for relational relief. Right. So you just mentioned secure. That's the goal. That's the though. That's what we all want to get towards if we're not there now. Um, But then there's the you just mentioned insecure. So there's a couple of other ones. So would you describe those? Well, we've got the avoider, the pleaser, the vacillator, the chaotic controller and the chaotic victim. So I'll describe the avoidant because that was my love style coming into marriage and parenting, but I had absolutely no clue that was animating me until the 15-year mark of our marriage. But the avoider comes from a family often like mine. My parents loved us, but neither one of them had any experience of emotional connection with their own parents. So my dad got angry if you express feelings. If I cried, he said things like, you better stop crying or I'm going to give you something to cry about. And my mom just got very anxious and flustered. So basic emotions, when I express them, it did not go well. So Mm -hmm. avoiders learn not to express emotions, to dampen them down and detach from them until that feels and becomes normal. And avoiders don't know what they feel. If you ask an avoider, how are you? They only have one answer. Fine. Good. Fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah. And then there's, they're independent. They make their own decisions. They've learned to not need other people. Yeah. And so the avoider, when they're stressed, they try and quickly fix something. And if that doesn't work, they just detach. And people think, well, the avoider is holding out, you know, they could connect, but they won't where in reality, they just don't have the experiences to draw from. They don't have memories of comfort. I have no memories of comfort from my parents when a, when a parent recognized that I was distressed and offered to listen and draw out what was inside me. And I felt that relief. I don't have experiences of relational relief from my family growing up. So that was the avoider. That's the avoider. And we've got four more to go through. Yep, the second one is pleaser. Can you tell us about pleaser? Well, pleasers typically are proximity seekers. They want to be close to people, but they have a strong fear emotion on the inside. And so they don't want to cause people to separate from them. So they don't have strong opinions. They struggle to set boundaries. They can't say no, especially as a parent. They'll really struggle with wanting to not make their child upset with them because if somebody else is upset, then they're not okay. They need others to be okay so that they are okay. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, they are dependent upon the others for their own well being. And so that was me. I grew up in a home where I had a very a volatile parent, and I was frightened a lot. And so that fear carried with me until I chose to face it and work it out. But it they're typically caretakers, and they take care of other people. So they are also highly anxious on the inside. And so fear and anxiety are joined here. And so they struggle then with relationships as parents and spouses, because they really won't have an assertive voice to tell you what they think because they don't want to alienate. The vacillator is also a proximity seeker. And in the attachment literature, they're called preoccupied or ambivalent. They are people who have connected and have 
episodes of connection and experiences of connection in their history, but somewhere along the line, they also experienced abandonment or a lack of connection, connection that left them baffled and wondering and longing for something that would be more uh, stronger and permanent and more secure. So vacillators are hot and cold. They can be very happy and then they can get very angry and distant and they'll push away. So by preoccupied, we mean they are always thinking about what just happened back there relationally. That person didn't smile when they said goodbye. I wonder if they're mad at me. When I came in, another person gave my spouse a hug, but they didn't give me one. I wonder if they're mad at me. And they're processing all the time, reviewing and rehearsing social settings, uh, reviewing and rehearsing parenting encounters, uh, spousal encounters. And so they are, if you will, they're seeking constant contact. So they're highly idealistic. Uh, with their spouse, marriage, and children, and child rearing. And when people fail to match their idealistic view of what life should be, they get very upset and angry and believe that the other person is falling short. And why did they do that? And why did the child do that? So there is a real struggle for them to accept reality and the fact that all of us ebb and flow and fail and fall short. There's no ideal on this planet. Mm -hmm. So that is one of the challenges of the vacillator. Yeah, mm. just in review of those three, the avoidant really doesn't even, they aren't aware of their pain or others' pain. The pleasers are hypervigilant about everyone else and their mood. And the vacillator is really preoccupied with their own pain. And I would say of all the styles, they probably suffer the most just because they're very aware of a connection and disconnection and have an insecurity about really being seen and known. Well, so far, I'm hearing a little bit of me in all of these. I'm curious about the last two, the controlled or the victim. Okay. The last style is called in the literature, disorganized or chaotic. And these are the kids that face trauma growing up. And the parents usually have trauma in their own background. And so when you have trauma, you're not over lacking the skills you need for successful relationships. You have deep wounds on top of that, mm -hmm. that you bring into adulthood. Mm -hmm. And so um, kids with trauma have what one of the researchers called fright without solution. Uh, the parents are fright, they're frightening or they're neglectful or they're addicted and there could be mental illness. There could be financial difficulties, but these kids try everything. They may avoid, they may please, they may, you know, get something and hope for more. But generally speaking, the feisty ones at some point will take on the more dominant parent and even leave home at 14 or 15. And they are more of the controller. And the controller controls for a very important reason that most people don't understand. Control provides predictability. And in a chaotic home, there is no predictability. Mm -hmm. So controlling people often don't even understand the own inner motivations, but control provides a sense of safety and security because they control others to predict outcomes or to control outcomes. And they tend to land on the emotion of anger as the one emotion that they keep because it's not vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And when you think about what these kids endured, there was a lot of terror, humiliation, shame, and to get rid of all those feelings, anger is 
the one emotion that uh, overrides all of those. So they tend to control, their anger is more about compliance, whereas the vacillator's anger is more about, you didn't connect with me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the chaotic victim is the more compliant kid in a traumatic home where they just, they survive by tolerating the intolerable and the intolerable becomes somewhat normal for them. And so they enter into adulthood kind of like the pleaser on steroids, only they, they tend to numb out, detach, or even dissociate when things are going badly because that's how they coped as a kid. So those are the overviews of the styles. Mm -hmm. And we do find that people with trauma often score high in three or four areas. And we just say, pick the areas that you, you know, the one style that you do most in the relationship you most want to change. I mentioned that I was just on your website and took the quiz. By the way, I think it's a great thing for any of our listeners to do. You can find this quiz at howwelove.com. And uh, there's descriptions of, of your ministry, of your vast experience and all the things. But then I'm always curious, like, what's my score? I'm a voracious student of all these personality style type tools. And so I think it's a good thing to go on there. I went on there and for one thing and help, help out anybody else that might be like me and want to go take this quiz. I went on there to take it. I went through it and there's what, like 80, 70 or 80 sort of quick yes or no questions. I wasn't sure whether I ought to answer in how my life is now versus how my life was when I entered married, having not done a lot of thinking about all of these things. You know, I'm, I've been married for 35 years. God works on us and the transforming of our minds is real. And, I, and, I, and then I tested pretty evenly across the board, except I had, I, you know, I had very low scores in all of the top four areas. And then the victim was zero. And yet I was a victim as a young child, sexual abuse and mm. uh, outside the home, nevertheless. So talk about what you've heard me say just now for a second. Well, I think you're absolutely right, Jim, that we are creatures of history and our history matters and our history is cumulative, but, uh, and a lot of people ignore it. They think, well, when I become an adult, I'm an adult. They, they fail to acknowledge the deep history uh, because we're the sum total of that history. Now, if I would have taken the quiz and answered it 35 years ago, like I was 35 years ago, I would have come out as the pleaser because I, like you, had trauma in my history, not the same, but I was traumatized. But if you take the quiz, answer it as you are today, mm -hmm. because really, you're right, we have grown, matured, changed, or in some cases, people don't grow and mature, as you know. And so I would take it just as you're thinking right now and let it reflect your current mentality, thoughts, feelings, et cetera. The other thing is, and Stacy said this earlier, no matter which one of these attachment styles you are, we're all trying to grow toward being the more secure connector. And John Bowlby said that if you didn't learn secure connection as a child, you can earn it as an adult which is what Kay and I learned to do also. So I think that's what you did too. Yeah, yeah, in many respects. So low scores like yours, you know, this test is only measuring the, the broken love styles, the injurious ones that harm relationships. There's a separate quiz for the secure connector, which outlines the traits of a secure connector. 
And low scores like you have indicate that you are very close to a, being a secure connector and people from great families might get low scores on this quiz or people that have done a lot of good work and are, have already grown a lot may also get low scores. So I would say when you take the quiz, a score above, there's 15 possible yes answers for each of the love styles. So if you got a 15, that would be very strong indicator that that it's definitely a style that you need to work on. But I would say anything between eight and 15 is you should at least read through the traits of that style and see which ones fit you so that you can then begin growth goals out of that. Can you be a mixture of two different ones? And then, or is it all or nothing? I'm like all avoider. How does that work? You can be a combination and we're going to put a document on our freebies page next week that goes through how to understand your quiz results in even more detail. There's similarities between the avoider and pleaser because neither one of them likes to do conflict, but the difference is the pleaser is not okay when you're not okay, whereas the avoider is just perfectly fine if you're not okay. Doesn't care. Yeah. They don't care. Right. So there's some nuances, you know, people can score closely between the avoider pleaser, the pleaser vacillator, because pleasers, vacillators will please to make connection happens. The difference is the pleaser won't get angry, whereas the vacillator is very likely to get angry. They protest, whereas the pleaser doesn't. So in addition to that, I think Mylon's just the pleaser wherever he goes. I played out the was, avoider. Was, was. was. That's true. Sorry. I played out the avoider. There's account. hope, right? We don't no, have to yes. say stop. Definitely. Yes. Yes. Okay, you, you. I played out the avoider attachment in my marriage, whereas I tend to pick friends that were very strong vacillators and I flipped over to the pleaser role with them. So you can play out okay. different, different styles with different people, but we recommend that if you are married, you pick the style you do the most in, in your marriage because changing that will change all your other relationships, mm. including oh, your parents. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you this question because we polled our Instagram and Facebook audience for questions. I told them I get to interview the Yurkoviches. So one mm-hmm. person asked this question, is attachment learned? So explain to us, like, where does it come from and what's the progression? Because really my root question is how does my attachment style as a parent affect my kids? Mm-hmm. I think Something that's very important here is that these attachment styles are visible clearly in children 18 months old. So this is something is an early preset in the child based upon the really implicit memories in the brain. That is, implicit means they are non-retrievable memories, like I'm talking to Jim and I'm talking to Stacy. That's a retrievable memory. Implicit memories are stored in such a way that they are really body memories or emotional feeling states of, I find comfort in relationship. I want to be close. I prefer to be more distant. I don't need people. And so really these are formed before we have language and language creates memory for us and history. So uh, what we really need to understand is about the parent-child connection before we can even remember it. 
And so then that is also reinforced through childhood and adolescence. And so we think it's just us. We think it's our personality. We think it is a temperament, but an attachment style is really a wound, a deficiency, a lack of development in me. That's why we should all be trying to grow into a more secure connector. And, and Jesus is a picture of the more secure connector. Say more about that. Just quickly, how is Jesus a picture of secure connection? I love that. Well, when you think about all the, the, the stories that you read about Jesus, he had a wide range of emotions. Mm-hmm. He demonstrated those emotions. Mm-hmm. He had self-awareness, which we see in the Garden of Gethsemane. He told his disciples exactly what was going on. My soul is grieved to the point of death. He said what he wanted. Come watch and pray with me. He, so he asked for comfort during the most stressful time of his life, even though they didn't do a great job at comforting. He, has, he had the self-awareness to ask for it. And, you know, he, he could set boundaries, as we see with the Pharisees, but he had a lot of compassion and mercy as well. And so really, when you, when you go through the traits of the secure connector, they all match what we read about Jesus. And of course, that makes sense because he was caught and, you know, he's a, definitely a demonstration of what is what our goal is. And we just kind of redefined it in terms of how does that look relationally? Well, as a human being, he was healthy. Yeah. And, and he, he manifests all those characteristics, Kay, of interrelational Yeah, I, I would say healthiness. attachment style is an unseen animating force or an imprint that you receive without really knowing you're receiving something and it defines how you operate in all relationships so mckay does that come from how the parent interacted with the child am i passing on my attachment style to my kids yes absolutely however we want to say two things first of all there's no perfect parent right we pass a lot of attachment wounds on to our kids because you know our oldest was 15 before we even really knew anything about this, but the greatest gift you can give your kid is to be a growing parent Mm -hmm. and that your child can say, my mom is different than she was two years ago, or my dad is different and that they can see positive growth in you. That's the most important gift you can give your child. Mm -hmm. Second of all, we're not here to blame parents. Mm -hmm. Um, Parents most often do the best they can. I've only worked with a few families where I would say the parents were actually evil. So, you know, the goal of understanding this isn't to go tell your parents everything they did wrong. The goal is to explain where you need to grow, to look back at your history so that you understand what happened there so that you can be the transform, the transformative generation that works your way out of those styles, because we tend to pass on. We can't give what we don't have. Right. Yeah. So if we don't have secure attachment, we don't really have it to give and we have to learn it as an adult so that we then can give it. I I appreciate that a lot because, you know, as I have walked through this journey of learning my own attachment style, I can sometimes come out of my reading or my thinking through this feeling a lot of shame. I am an avoider. I've just labeled myself with this very negative label that I don't like. And then that means that I'm passing this horrible thing on to my kids. But what you just said is that if I have a growth mindset, 
Like now I have information. I know maybe where my history came from, but I do not want to stay there. So now I'm going to take tools and I am going to learn how to move past those avoider tendencies or, you know, pleaser tendencies, whatever we fall into to grow towards secure attachments. That's hopeful. That's growth mindset. Like, you know, that, that gives me hope and takes me out of that, that shame. Yes, I completely agree with you. And, you know, but when you think about it, Stacy, we should all have regrets about our parenting as we get more information. And I think, you know, I remember going through some grief about some of the things I passed on to my kids. However, you know, God has his own timing in terms of when he brings information to us. And I think it's what we do with that information that counts. Like you have chosen to take the diagnosis and to grow and to change. And that is the greatest gift you could ever give your children because you're not only giving them something different and new, you're modeling that part of our life as Christians is to change and to grow. Yeah. And I love that because it fits right into even what we teach all the time with our framework, that one of the very first questions we ask is what's going on in me and really pulling that apart and answering that. And sometimes it's just a quick question. I'm frustrated. We got to get out the door. And sometimes it's a topic like we're covering today around attachment and really digging down into why I am the way that I am. And that means looking into the past. Right. You know, God does not ignore history. The whole Old Testament sets a stage for the New Testament. It creates a context for current relationship we have with Christ. So it's important to understand that. Secondly, God is also a highly emotionally intelligent God. He has every emotion from Genesis to Revelation. So we're made, as Jim said in a conversation earlier, we're made in the image and likeness of Christ. And what we need to do is grow into that image. Uh, It's true positionally, but there's this thing called sanctification. (laughs) We're supposed to grow up, says Ephesians 4, until we attain to that maturity. So it's something we all need to struggle with in terms of facing the realities, falling short, and then needing to grow and transform. I mean, even coming to know Christ as my Savior, I didn't like the definition God gave to me (laughs) prior to receiving my salvation, that I was lost. I was estranged from him. I was a sinner. I was at enmity with him and enemy. Uh I didn't like any of those definitions. But then when we received Christ, he covered them. So we have to realize that this is a part of the sanctification process to become more like him. I love that. That was Pastor Mylan talking to us, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> really good. Super good. I We're going to go to a break right now, but after we come back, let's talk about as a parent, now that I've identified my attachment style, my love style, now what? Where do I start? What are some tools? And, um, and I also have a question that I want to throw in about how trauma relates to this. Sure. So, sure. Yeah, we'll be back soon. Hey, mom, do you find yourself feeling angry or struggling with negative and hopeless thoughts? We all have at one time or another. I certainly have. Here at Connected Families, we have a five-session online course that will encourage you with hopeful truth. The course is called Grace and Truth for Moms, and it's a core teaching that comes out of the first level of the Connected Families framework, You Are Safe With Me. 
The course is presented by Lynn Jackson, co-founder of Connected Families, and covers these topics. What is the real truth about me, about my kids, how to hold on to truth even in hard times? Grace and Truth for Mom was made for small groups. Even just you and a friend or a larger group of 10 to 15, you decide. But when you register your group, you'll have immediate access to all the online videos for the course. The course takes little to no preparation. You just press play and feel God's grace. Lori, mom of three, said this after she went through the course. God spoke to my heart and showed me how I have subconsciously been believing lies that I had to be some sort of perfect parent. I wanted to let go of that goal and just rest in the truth that I'm doing my best and will never be perfect, but Jesus is perfect. I hope you registered today. All the information about Grace and Truth for Moms online course is in our show notes or go to connectedfamilies.org. All right, we're here back after the break with Mylon and Kay Yurkovich, who wrote the book, How We Love. All the information about their ministry will be in our show notes. And we've had a great conversation so far outlining the attachment styles and describing them. And so Kay and Mylon, you know, I, I have a question that's kind of left over from the first half, and that is this. So because I'm an adoptive parent and we have lots and lots of foster and adoptive families in our community here at Connected Families, what I'm wondering is if I'm working towards a secure attachment. So that's how I'm parenting my child. How does trauma affect that? And can my child reject a secure attachment because of the trauma? Hmm. That's a great question. That is a great question. Trauma is, and, and I want to, to go back into a place that I don't think you're expecting here. When a child is adopted or fostered, we have to think of several things. What was their experience before they came into our home? And that experience includes the time they've been alive, but it also includes the prenatal experience. What was the state of the mother while the child was developing? Because we know a lot is transmitted to the child during that phase of the child's life, the first nine months. And as neurobiology and the research on neurobiology, we know that you know, the child absorbs even the emotional state of the mom and of the parents. And if the child has had to go to foster or adoption route, then we have to realize that the parents or the mother has been very upset and is struggling. So we're overcoming a lot. And the answer is we need to do two things. We need to be consistent with the child. We also have to expect that they are experiencing something new and they're going to protest a lot. We think as Christians that we're going to give them a loving home and they should respond to that in, a, in an appropriate way. And they won't necessarily do that. And then the other thing we have to realize is we just need to be consistent and give them a lot of time to adjust to something brand new. And mm -hmm. with that, to discuss their history with them so they understand what they've been through. The ACE scoring system, the Adverse Childhood Experience scoring system, is really important to help them understand what they've been through. It's a mm -hmm. test of one to 10 questions. So I think that is an important yeah. place. K, 
Okay, what would you say? I would just say when, you know, trust is a big issue in accepting love. And depending on the level of trauma, and of course, how that child's temperament intermixes with that trauma, it can be very hard to develop a secure connection mm -hmm. with some adopted kids. And that's very frustrating for the parents. And they tend to think, well, I'm doing something wrong. And especially when it's folks like you who are growing and developing self-awareness, mm -hmm. you can feel a lot of shame over, you know, your, the kid's reaction or their, in, their rejection, but they're coming from such a place of brokenness and mistrust. And I think we have to do the best we can and then trust God with those results, yeah. knowing that, you know, we've certainly given them something that, that they, they could have never gotten somewhere else. You know, I don't think anyone can understand how hard it is until you actually do it. Mm -hmm. I got another question on, on Instagram that I want to ask, and I, I think your answer probably could be really short. We'll see. But the parent was a foster parent and they said, Hey, I only have my, this child for a short amount of time. What kind of impact is it worth it? Essentially, they were asking to work on attachment when they're only with me a short amount of time. Oh boy. The experience of how they treat that child absolutely is an important piece in that child's development. If they find a warm, nurturing, consistent person, that's going to make them a positive mark in that child, even if they have them for a short period of time. So understanding that attachment is built around the relationship and what does the child experience? Can they come to me? Can do they see love and comfort and connection? Do they feel boundaries that are that are warm boundaries? And so, yes, you can make a powerful impact, even if it's for a short period of time. Yeah, good. Thanks. Thanks for answering those questions. The next one is just broad. So now I have taken your test on your website or I've picked up your book, How to Love, How to Love My Kids. And I understand more about my own attachment style. Where do I start? Do I start with myself digging in, asking what's going on in me? Do I start in my marriage because it's influencing how I interact with my spouse or with my kids? Give, it, great, give us some help. That's, that's a great question. I would say if you're married, start in your marriage and start with yourself because you can't change your spouse. And the reason I say that is that we have heard over and over again from people who applied this to their marriage, that as it changed their marriage, it changed their parenting. Mm -hmm. And our kids were old enough that we sat them down and said, okay, we now realize that we don't talk about feelings in this family and that that's been something that we've been missing so we've got a feeling wordless now, and we're going to include feelings in conversation. So we kind of all learn together. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we had to withhold car keys until they would sit down and have a conversation. <laughs> but we knew it was that important. Mm -hmm. So I would say you can grow together if your kids are older. But since the marriage is such an important influence on the emotional atmosphere of the home, I think that is the best starting place and it will all spill over to your kids. If you learn to do the comfort circle with your husband or your wife, you can then learn to do it with your kids. Talk about the comfort relational circle. The comfort circle is the antidote. It is the way that we work ourselves out of these wounded attachment styles into secure attachment. And it's a biblically driven model of Psalm 139, seeking awareness. What is, Lord, search my heart, know my heart. What are the anxious ways and hurtful ways in me? So it's to understand what I'm actually feeling. And that's where the soul word list comes in. 
And then secondly, the second step is to speak the truth in love with your neighbor. So to actually vocalize those or to have somebody ask you what's in there, it invites you to speak and to vocalize what those feelings are and what created those feelings. Thirdly, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Learning to ask a lot of questions to expand what the person has stated. What are those feelings? How long have they been there? Are there other times you feel this way? And learning to validate and empathize with what you've heard. And then lastly, we're told in 2 Corinthians 1 to comfort one another. So after a person has told me what they're thinking and feeling, and I've listened to them, I can then ask them, what do you need right now? I may not be able to provide what they want, but I can at least give them the, the listening experience, but I can give them comfort because I have provided a place for them, a safe place. Two quick things. One, the difference between the comfort circle and normal conversation is that the listener stays in the listener role. And we have a list of questions on the website mm -hmm. under freebies. It's called the guide for the listener in the comfort circle. And because people don't know how to find out more. So there's a list of 10 or 12 questions there that can be very helpful in keeping you in the listener role. And then the one who's sharing always has a list of soul words. And the second question is pick three feelings from that word list. So there are tools there to help you stay in the listener role until you really deeply know what someone is thinking, feeling, and experiencing. Really awesome to learn to listen to. Everyone should be slow to speak, slow to become angry quick to listen. Yeah. And I like the, the last part of that verse because all of that stuff doesn't produce the righteousness God intends. Correct. <laughs> and so you're, you're talking about this, this is, is the comfort circle deal like a refrigerator magnet or something that we can, can give away to listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think that could be a really we, awesome refrigerator magnet. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, the other thing that I was looking at that you all do, you know, when you talked about the gifts, honestly, you know, when I looked at the seven gifts, I thought, well, there's another, you know, that's a meme, that's a poster, that's a refrigerator magnet, that's a something. These are such important things to, to learn about and remember, you know, the gift of God being the most obvious gift, like how do we really recognize that, that God is a gift in our lives to help us through here? Can you talk just a little bit about what you call the seven gifts for the healing journey? Uh, and, you know, I, I realize you, you, you probably are thinking we are going to write a book about just this someday. <laughs> Maybe not, but it, there's certainly a lot there. Could you could you give us a narrow picture of that, that that ends our time here together with some some hope in these gifts? Well, I think the gift of God is by far the greatest gift you can give your kids because temporary is uh, parenting is a temporary phase in a marriage, and sooner or later we launch our kids, and sometimes that takes longer with special needs kids or adopted kids, but eventually there's a launch and. God is the parent and God is the caretaker. And I think for us, one of the elements that was missing, you know, was God is a God of comfort. And yet experiencing comfort on a human level gives you a picture of who God is. And this is why we focus so much on comfort as a way of something we needed to learn to do with one another with my, in my marriage, we did not comfort each other. And I would say we were both very poor at comforting our kids. But I think as we learned to do that, it was a picture of the tenderness of God. Mm -hmm. We actually did holding times. Kay and I do holding times. There's a picture of that in our book, How We Love. 
And we also would hold our kids, instead of isolating them and sending them to their room and be alone for a timeout, we would do a timeout holding them in our arms and just say, I want you to be, you can be upset, but you're going to be, I'm going to be with you while you're upset and go through that process with you. You know, when we go through the valley of the shadow of death, Psalm 23, God says, I'm with you. I will comfort you. I will be with you here. And so to be with our child and provide that nurturance game, mm-hmm. that closeness, and then I'm not going to go away from you because you're angry or upset. I will stay with you. And that's another thing that we did that was very powerful. It takes some physical strength <laughs> to, to do that. Yeah, we're talking little kids, although my last daughter, 10 age difference or eight between the third and the fourth. and Eight years difference. Eight, sorry, eight yeah. years. And I held her when she was little for comfort, which I didn't know to do with my other kids. And she'd come in from high school and say, I had the worst day. I just need you to hold me for a few minutes. And she'd cry and there's no shame. And then she'd skip over to the refrigerator and get a snack and be fine. And I was like, wow, that is like I, something I never could have done with my own mom. So, And when, she was, and when she was dating, she said to her boyfriend who then became her fiance, who's now her husband, do you know how to do holding times? <laughs> and he's like, um, and he goes, what? No. You know? So she goes, I'm going to teach you how to do holding times. And they had powerful <laughs> connections emotionally in their lives as they walked into marriage. That's a beautiful picture that you were able to teach your daughter that holding time. And I can see how powerfully comforting. What a beautiful image that is of how Jesus is our comforter. I know on mm-hmm. in your book, How We Love Our Kids, on page 262, I, I pulled one quote. It said, God's love causes him to initiate reconnection with us. Mm-hmm. Despite our sin, he walks towards our mess, not away from it. That's mm-hmm. the cure attachment. That's right. That's a, that's a nutshell right there. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Well, Mylan and Kay, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. I know that your ministry has has been so powerful for thousands and thousands of people, including our family and so many in our community. And so on behalf of all of us, I just thank you for your faithfulness, for the work that you've done to grow people, to bring secure connection in families, which really have transformed so many people and the legacy will be far reaching mm, thank you thank Stacey. you we're, we're pleased to be with you and share you know if we can do it anybody can do it and we really appreciate connected families because you are helping people apply god's scriptures of how to be self-aware learn to listen learn to speak truthfully but with love and grace as you speak and i know that's your ministry too so it's a pleasure mm-hmm forces with you today. Hey friends, I'm so glad you tuned in today. Did you find this podcast encouraging and helpful? Please leave a review and share it with a friend. Links to our guests today, Kay and Mylon Yurkovich's website and resources, their books are all in our show notes. For more information about Connected Families, go to connectedfamilies.org. I will see you next time. 